Hi, I'm Brad Constantine, and this is a Come Follow Me podcast of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Although this is not an official podcast of the church, every effort has been made to be as doctrinally accurate as possible. This year's study is the Book of Mormon. Each week, a new summary podcast of that week's Book of Mormon chapters will be released. But if you want a more detailed analysis of each individual chapter, those will also be available to listen to. I hope this Come Follow Me resource will be helpful to you. As always, you can subscribe to this podcast so you'll be notified each week of a new episode. I hope you like this uh, format. Thank you. Hi, and welcome back to the Come Follow Me podcast for the Book of Mormon. This will be lesson number 17, and it's going to cover Mosiah chapters 7 through 10, and the time period is April 27th through May the 3rd. So this will be your study for the week. So we're into Mosiah here. Uh, King Benjamin has passed away and King Mosiah has now taken over. Uh, but as we get into Mosiah here in chapter 7, there's going to be a little different uh, people that we're going to be talking about. But uh, let me get into that in a little bit. I want to cover something first, uh, some interesting information about the name Mosiah. Uh, John Sawyer published an article titled, What Was a Moshiach? He argues that the term Moshiach was, was an ancient Hebrew term. Uh, which meant redeemer or avenger of blood or victor or savior. Uh, such terms originally had meaning in Hebrew daily life and culture, but came to be used among their titles for God. The word Moshiach um, is, a, is a word peculiar to Hebrew, a word invariably implying a champion of justice in a situation of controversy, battle, or oppression. His analysis sheds interesting light on the name Moshiach or Mosiah, in the Book of Mormon. Several subtle reasons show why Nephites, who continued to speak Hebrew in the New World, would have been attracted to the use of such a name or title. Apparently, the form of the word Mosiah is a Hiphil participle in Hebrew. It occurs in the Hebrew in Deuteronomy 22, Judges 12, Psalms 18, and Isaiah 5 texts that, all, that in all probability were on the plates of brass. This word, however, however, was not transliterated into the English by the King James translators, and thus the Hebrew would not have been known to Joseph Smith. It, has, it was, however, known and used as a personal name in the Book of Mormon, as well as by people in the Jewish colony um, in the 5th century BC. The key meaning of the word Moshiach was Savior. People in danger cry out, but there is no Moshiach. After examining all occurrences of this term in the Hebrew Bible, Sawyer concludes that the term applied to a particular kind of person or role and was sometimes a title designating a definite office or position. Um, and so the typical office is the following traits. Uh, the Moshiach is a victorious hero appointed by God. He liberates a chosen people from oppression, controversy, and injustice after they cry out for help. Their deliverance is usually accomplished by means of, an, of a nonviolent escape or negotiation. The immediate result of the coming of a Moshiach was escape from injustice and a return to a state of justice where each man possesses his rightful property. On a larger scale, vi final victory means the coming of a Moshiach. Uh, to rule like judges over Israel. Thus, the term also had judicial, legal, or forensic connotations similar to the word advocate. A Moshiach gives refuge to those on, a, on his right hand from his accusers in court. And also, the book of Mosiah contrasts the characters of Benjamin and Noah on at least seven different points. Their treatment of an attitude toward temples, their handling of conflicts with the Lamanites, their methods of succession, their use of and reaction to sermons, 
and their attitudes toward physical labor and service, the written word and the living prophets. These contrasts give life to our understanding of the principle of dominion, for the ancients' character and personality were best seen in a person's deeds. Mormon followed this ancient philosophy in portraying the deeds of the two Nephite kings, Benjamin and Noah, but the deaths of the two monarchs also characterized their lives. Benjamin peacefully passed the kingdom to his son, retired from the kingship, and spent the last three years of mortality in peace. His obedience secured him a place in, in God's kingdom. On the other hand, Noah, who spent his life on the lusts and desires of the flesh, pronounced a death sentence on the one messenger who could have saved him from destruction. His cruel treatment of Abinadi became his own death sentence, though his desire for power and dominion consumed his soul long before the physical flames ever touched his body. How fitting it is that Noah was consumed in flames of his own making. Mormon's graphic account of the two contrasting leaders makes the book of Mosiah vital reading for anyone who would aspire to lead others or who is called to lead others in the latter days. Mosiah, too, also recognized uh, the great value. This is, in other words, Benjamin's son, the value of studying these two kings and concluded the book of Mosiah with one chapter summary of the lessons we should learn from them. Those who have dominion either follow the messianic model of leadership by service, exemplified by Benjamin, or the satanic model of leadership by, by domination, exemplified by Noah. Service or leadership by service builds Zion, while leadership by dominion builds Babylon. And that was by uh, Monty Nyman and Charles Tate. And so that's uh, an interesting thing about the word Mosiah and uh, Moshiach. Um, and John Welch uh, contributed to that as well. Now, the, the story really with, uh, with uh, Mosiah goes back into the book of Omni, where um, it mentions in Omni chapter chapter one verse twenty seven uh, that the people were seeking or wanting to go back to um, the land of Nephi uh, to go up into the wilderness to to see um, to return back to their land um, but they and they they were led by a strong and mighty man it mentions in verse twenty eight but that they couldn't find the land and so they had to return to the land of Zarahemla um, and so now we begin. Um, with Ammon, who we're going we're gonna to come across here in Mosiah chapter 7, but this Ammon is not uh, one of the sons of Mosiah. This is a different Ammon. Now, I want also to point out that this Ammon is a type of Christ, and I'll just explain a couple of ways in which he is. Uh, first of all, the king sent Ammon, and uh, Heavenly Father sent Jesus. Ammon and Jesus are described as mighty and strong. Both experienced 40 days of hunger, thirst, and fatigue. Both took three others and went a little further. Both were bound and taken away. Both were brought before kings and questioned. Ammon led the people out of physical bondage, where Jesus delivers the people from death and hell and spiritual bondage. And so with that kind of backdrop, let's uh, start getting into some of this chapter 7 here. So verse 1 begins by telling us that, uh, that King Mosiah had entered into peace for the space of three years uh, and was desirous to know concerning the people who went up to the land of Lehi-Nephi. Um, and that they uh, hadn't heard anything about him since they left uh, Zarahemla. And so the people were, it says in, in uh, verse 1, that the people were teasing him about that. And so he lets 16 people uh, go up to uh, up to the land to, to look for it and to find him. And mentions in verse 3 that, that one among them is Ammon, he being a strong and mighty man and a descendant of Zarahemla. Uh, and he was their leader. So here's uh, Ammon going up. Uh, verse 6, Ammon took three of his brethren, and their names were Amalekai, Helam, and Ham, and they went down into the land of Nephi. And there they met the king, and, and because the king uh, suspected them to be someone else, uh, he puts them in prison for a while. 
Uh, now Ammon uh, does this on purpose. Uh, he, he, he meets the king on purpose. In verse 7 it mentions that uh, um, that he met the king. Ammon and the four did, did this on purpose. They recognized them as the people they were looking for. Um, Brant Gardner suggests that Ammon may have asked people of small villages in the area of their travels where the city was located. And so as they're looking for the city, uh, Ammon does this on purpose to be captured so that he can, he can talk to the king. Uh, mentions in verse 8 that they were in prison for a couple of days and then they're brought out um, and that they're commanded to, uh, to speak. Um, he, he says, why, why are you here? Um, and then verse 12, Ammon says, um, O king, I'm thankful before God this day that I'm able to speak, for I am assured that if you had known me, uh, you wouldn't have put us into prison, for I am Ammon and a descendant of Zarahemla, and have come up out of the land of Zarahemla uh, to inquire. Now, they, the people, uh, this group of people that he's, he's encountered had thought that the people of Zarahemla had died because they, they had gone looking for them at one point and couldn't find them, and they thought that they may have died. And they also came across a bunch of bones and thought that maybe that was them and that they went back. Uh, verse 14, now it came to pass that after Limhi had heard the words of Ammon, he was exceedingly glad. Now remember that Limhi um, is uh, King Noah's, uh, he's related, related to King Noah, and I can't remember now if it's the son or the father. Anyway, we'll get into that in a minute. Um, all right, uh, verse 18, it came to pass that when they had gathered themselves together that he spake unto them in this wise, O my people, lift up your heads and be comforted, for behold, the time is at hand, or is not far distant, when they will no longer be subjected to their enemies. And so he's hoping that they're going to get out of prison here, uh, or not prison, but uh, that they're being held captive by the Lamanites. Okay, down to... Um, Verse 21, ye are all witnesses this day that Zenith, who was made king over this people, he being overzealous to inherit the land of his fathers. So uh, Limhi is the grandson of Zenith. He's the son of King Noah. So uh, I corrected myself. Should I just edit that out so you don't know that I made a mistake? Yeah, I'll try that. All right. Uh, anyway, he being overzealous, sometimes we can be overzealous about things. Uh, verse 26, a prophet of the Lord have they slain. And that was Abinadi. Yeah, chosen man of God. So he's mentioning here uh, a brief history of what happened um, to give them an idea of why they're in captivity. Verse 33, but if you will turn, uh, he has this promise. If you will turn to the Lord with full, with full purpose of heart and put your trust in him and serve him with all diligence of mind. If you do this, he will, according to his own will and pleasure, deliver you out of bondage. Now, oftentimes uh, we are called upon to suffer for things and to gain experience. And so some, the Lord's not going to shorten our, our trials uh, just because we want them to be shortened, because there may be lessons to be learned uh, that uh, the trials will accomplish. Uh, down to chapter 8. Um, so now um, King Limhi has finished speaking to the people. Uh, now he causes Ammon in verse 2 to speak. And he gives a brief history, uh, mentions that he rehearses unto them all that happened to their brethren from the time that Zenith went up out of the land of, uh, and unto the land that they're now in. And uh, after he had done this, he, he caused the plates which contained the record of the people from the time that the, they left the land of Zarahemla should be brought before Ammon that he might read them. So Limhi's people kept some plates as well. Um, Limhi's plates contain the record of his people from the days of King Zenith. So we have multiple sets of plates going on here. We have the large plates of Nephi. We have these plates of Zenith. We have uh, our plates of Limhi. We have Alma has a record of his own as well. And these are the records that, that Mormon's going to use uh, to make his abridgment. 
they also have the 24 gold plates that are the Jaredites that uh, they're also going to have. Uh, verse uh, 7 uh, mentions that they caused 40 people, 43 people to go into the wilderness to see if they could uh, find a way out to find the land of Zarahemla, uh, but that they got lost uh, and couldn't find the land of Zarahemla, but they did find the land of bones of men. And this is what makes them think that, that the people of Zarahemla had been killed. And so they don't seek any more to, to try to find them until Ammon comes and says that they are the people of, of Zarahemla. So this then gives them hope that there's a way to escape. And that's what this is about. Verse 13, um, Limhi has asked if there's somebody that can interpret languages. And Ammon mentions that, uh, that they do have someone and that's their king. Verse uh, 15 says uh, that a seer is greater than a prophet. Uh, this is really more of a question than a statement because Ammon states later that a seer is a prophet and a revelator. Uh, and so um, I think he's making a correction here. Verse 16, Ammon said a seer is a revelator and a prophet and a gift which is greater can no man have except he should possess the power of God. A seer can know of things which are past, present, and future. So we often talk about prophets, seers, and revelators. Uh, is there a difference? Um, it's generally supposed that a prophet is one who prophesies, meaning one who foretells the future. In fact, one can be a prophet without doing so. The role of a prophet is to proclaim the word of God by the authority of the Holy Ghost. More specifically, a prophet is one who has and declares the testimony of Jesus. A prophet's primary role is to be a foreteller rather than a foreteller. To call a man a prophet is to emphasize his role in declaring the word of God, whereas to call him a seer is to emphasize the manner in which that word is received. Thus, it is properly said that a seer is greater than a prophet because all seers are prophets, but not all prophets are seers. Among the special spiritual gifts granted to seer is the ability to restore, interpret, and understand the past. In so doing, the seer may, by the use of various interpreters, translate ancient records that have been written in languages that now are otherwise undecipherable. This is what Mosiah did in translating the records of the Jaredites and what Joseph Smith did in translating the Book of Mormon. Ammon's comments related to a, a seer or tr as a translator couched in a conversation about ancient records were not intended to be a complete description of the seer's role. Enoch beheld the spirits that God had created, and he beheld also... Uh, also things which were not visible to the natural eye, and from thenceforth came the saying abroad in the land, A seer hath the Lord raised up unto his people. A seer is a visionary in the highest sense, one who can see afar off. And so that's what, uh, if, if you talk about prophets, seers, and revelators, Joseph Smith said that prophets are those who um, testify of Jesus Christ. And uh, that's more of what uh, the prophets do today in our day. All right, um, verse 19, Ammon made an end of speaking and gave thanks to God. Doubtless a great mystery is contained. Uh, the great mystery, which he's talking about, is the 24 uh, plates of the Jaredites, the book of Ether. Uh, let's go then to uh, chapter 9. Again, chapter 9 is a historical flashback. It begins talking about Zenith, um, going or leading a group from Zarahemla to, pos to possess the land of Lehi-Nephi. Um, and that they were smitten in, with sore afflictions in the wilderness as they went. Um, it mentions in here in verse 9, we began to till the ground, uh, yea, with all manner of seeds, with seeds of corn and of wheat and of barley and with knees and with sheam. Now, nobody knows exactly what crop or grain is represented by these words, that Joseph Smith would not be able to describe in 1829 English every word or term used by the Nephites as evidence for the authenticity of the Book of Mormon. 
together with NEAS and SHEUM of Mosiah and Kurlams and Kumams of Ether 9, we have some very convincing examples of what are technically known as Hapax legomena. Linguistically, such terms are a part of almost all ancient records. Indeed, they become a check on their age. This, uh, this term, which cannot be translated, only transliterated, that is, put into the sounds of a language. And that was by Richard Craycroft and Neil Lambert. And so this is, again, showing that the Book of Mormon is actually translated material because Joseph Smith would not have come up with these, uh, these names as being something, apparently a grain or some, something that was planted in the ground. Um, and he would have probably just ignored it or not come up with it. But, uh, but anyway, that's uh, it's showing evidence that it's translated material. Um, okay, down to verse... Uh, 19, he's talking about how with his own hands he did help bury the dead of the people, and, and there's about 3,000 Lamanites killed, uh, while 279 Nephites die. Uh, and you're wondering, how, how could a smaller army kill so many Lamanites? And uh, Brant Gardner suggested that, uh, that the Nephites may have done sort of a surprise attack on the Lamanites. Uh, the Lamanites killed uh, Xenophites and therefore justified the required killing of the Lamanites. Remember that the Lamanite is a gen generic term. Uh, the Lamanites would have retreated from out of the area with their spoils. Uh, there were a few Lamanites that came into the area and took uh, took some of their food and killed some people. And then the, a lot of the ne a lot of the Nephites then go into their um, into their places uh, of homes, their homes and tents and so on, and and kill more Nef kill more Lamanites than than the Nephites were that were killed. Uh, down to chapter 10, King Laman dies. Um, he's the leader of the Lamanites. Um, anyway, there, there's more fights here between Lamanites and Nephites. Uh, this is going to be a continual problem. My, my opinion is that whenever the Nephites uh, leave an area to go somewhere else, they never go far enough away from the Lamanites. They're always on their doorstep somehow. Um, verse 8 mentions that they come to the land of uh, north of Shilom, where there's numerous hosts armed with bows and arrows and swords, uh, where they have a huge fight here. Um, Women and children should be hid in the wilderness during this time, and uh, and where the, layman, the the Nephites, it says uh, in verse 10, uh, came to pass that they did go up against the Lamanites. Even I, in my old age, did go up. It came to pass that we did go up in the strength of the Lord to battle. So now they're they're praying that they're going to be spared, and he says the Lamanites know nothing about the strength of the Lord, uh, that they were a wild and a ferocious people, um, but that uh, again it says. Um, that the Lamanites were teaching their children to hate the Nephites. Um, and so they were doing all this. Down in verse 19, it says, Then if after having told all these things unto my people concerning the Lamanites, I did stimulate them to go to battle with their might, putting their trust in the Lord, therefore we did, we did contend with them face to face. Uh, now we qualify, this is Brother Nibley, we qualify for blessings of the Lord by being weak. The Lord explains how he can make us much stronger. The only safe defense you have is this. It's the perfect defense. It includes three things we find in Moses 7. He gave Adam all three things to defend himself. First, he says he will give you knowledge. In the garden, he gave Adam knowledge. That's a good thing to have, knowledge of what's going on. And then you have to have instructions or advice. That's what you asked for. The Lord gave knowledge and instruction. Then you, And then when they went wrong, he gave them correction. He tells you when you are making mistakes. So you have information, you have advice, and you have correction, and you have it from one who knows everything. If you follow that, you're perfectly safe. And so as we have weaknesses, we can rely on the Lord to help us. And that's how we, that's the key to our success. 
Again, I bear testimony of the truth of these things, that this is translated material, and that the Book of Mormon is true in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. See you next time. Bye.